G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Alex Cook joining us. He's a financial planning expert, founder of Wealth with Purpose, a financial planner, former stockbroker. He shares his entrepreneurial and marketing skills these days to help kingdom businesses and Christian ministries to thrive. Alex is expanding his ministry internationally beyond Australia into South America, Hong Kong, the United States, and today talking about living within your means. Alex Cook, welcome along to 2020. Hi, Neil. Great to be with you again. Alex, uh, just been uh, in the introduction, uh, talking about your expansion of uh, business in that sense of your ministry. Uh, these days, what does life look like for you uh, as you're uh, as you're expanding? <laughs> I know it's complicated. It's, uh, That's why I'm asking. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, well, as you might remember, I live in uh, South America. I live in uh, the city of Buenos Aires in Argentina, which is a, a beautiful big city, 12 million people. So it's a, a rather thriving metropolis. Um, but I spend a lot of time in Australia too. Obviously, that's where I'm from, as people can tell from the accent. Um, so really, with Wealth with Purpose, we've started predominantly in Australia and run our uh, of courses and events in churches in, in Sydney and Brisbane, the Gold Coast. Um, but what we're trying to do long term is take it across the world. I mean, uh, starting with the English speaking world and, uh, and then slowly going across to, um, uh, we'll convert it into Spanish, I think, probably next, being living in Argentina and then eventually into to Mandarin and so forth. So uh, the go- goal is to take God's word and what God's word says about money uh, out to the, the masses across the globe. Well, every time we talk, things are getting bigger and expanding more with you. And, of course, uh, part of what you're doing is these courses that you have on offer when people visit your website, Wealth With Purpose. Yes, that's right. So what we've got now is all our courses are online. There's actually nine of them, and we have three different audiences, if you like. So there's courses specifically for church leaders so that they can promote generosity uh, and and know how to do that and promote stewardship within their church. Uh, One of my passions, being an entrepreneur sort of personality, is also helping Christian entrepreneurs. And our goal there is to not only give them, you know, typical business skills like marketing and so forth, but really also help them to have an eternal focus with their business so that it actually has a key kingdom purpose you know it could be helping their community funding their local church changing culture there's all sorts of different things that a business can do and business is a great tool for that uh, and then the last area which is sort of our biggest space is really helping what i call the christian individuals um, couples retirees basically everyone and we've got different courses for them so we've got our our big flagship one wealth with purpose which covers all our core sort of stewardship content and financial planning content We've got stuff for married couples. So how as a couple do you manage money without you know, tearing each other apart? Money should actually help uh, bring us together, not tear us apart. Um, but a lot of couples struggle with money. Uh, one for helping people uh, think about long-term planning, such as retirement and so forth. And then also one for young adults. So how do you, as a young person, do you get started? You know, we, in Australia, everyone talks about house prices a lot. You know, how do you save? How do you budget? All those sort of things. So that's a bit of a, a snapshot, if you like, of some of the courses that we offer. 
Well, Alex, wanting to invite our listeners to participate in our conversation today and living within your means is a good topic to talk about. Uh, There might be comments or there could be questions from listeners and it could be across a whole variety of different areas, uh, whether it's personal finances, family finances, uh, business finances. And uh, we are going to delve into some commentary today in a general sense on the idea of governments also living within their means or, in fact, living within our means. When we talk about that terminology, living within your means, what do we really mean when we say that people should live within their means? Yeah, well, I think when most people say it, they generally mean that they shouldn't be spending more than they're earning. So most people think of their the money that's coming into their house from their, their wage or their salary, uh, and they think, as long as I don't spend uh, more than what I've got, in other words, I don't go into credit card debt and so forth, then really I'm sort of living within my means. Um, but that, to me, is slightly problematic because um, ultimately when you live and only you just spend all your income, you're not really able to do certain things and, and get ahead over the long term. Um, and I encourage people to actually adopt a slightly different saying, and that is to live below your means. So the question is, well, what does sort of uh, living below your means actually look like? And so I like to use a very simple formula for people, and that is I say to people, on average, you should try and live on 80% of your income. So if you think about your net income, in other words, the amount of money that's coming into your bank account every week or month, depending on how you get paid, you should try and spend no more than 80% of it on your living expenses, such as your rent, your mortgage, food, and so forth. And then the question comes, okay, what do you do with the other 20%? Well, certainly as a Christian, I encourage people to give the first 10%, if you like, and I call it giving to God. So supporting your local church, um, supporting Christian ministries and so forth. That's your first 10%. And as I say, when people say living uh, within their means, they often don't put aside money for saving. So the other 10% I encourage for long-term saving. So that could be for things like uh, saving for your children's education, saving for retirement planning, because uh, at some point most of us will have to cease work due to you know, ill health or redundancy or you know, we've just decided that we've had enough of uh, being in the, in the uh, paid workforce, so to speak, and we've got other things that we feel God wants us to do. So that sort of gives you a small sort of snapshot, if you like, of how someone can live within their, within their means. Interestingly, Alex, I feel like somehow or other I need to have some sort of incentive uh, to actually live within or, as you're saying, living beneath uh, our means. If I'm going to do that, I need to have some sort of incentive. Everything today, uh, whether it's on television or in any sort of sense in the media that's got marketing and advertising that wants you to spend your money right now. And as you say, we usually live to our means and if we've got it, we spend it. What is the incentive to actually bite the bullets and become a little more conservative to live beneath our means? Are we talking something long term here? Yeah, so look, look, I think it's a fabulous question. I think I'd answer it in two ways, Uh, long term and eternal. 
So with the eternal, as, as Christians, we know that life on earth is short and it's temporary. So I say to people that their wealth, and in fact this is why we name the organisation Wealth with Purpose, is that your wealth should have a purpose. It should have a, a kingdom perspective. And so one of the, the big incentives should be, you know, in the Bible it talks about that the fact that we will be rewarded in eternity at the throne of grace. And uh, so I think Christians, the, the big incentive should be to use the money in such a way as to run their race, to have an eternal impact with the financial resources that God has blessed us with and really have think to yourself how can I use my money to have a kingdom impact how can I influence my community for for Jesus how can I uh, help those in need there's so many people around the world suffering how can I help the persecuted church and really having an eternal focus with your money, and that should be a great, uh, you know, a great incentive. And as I say, uh, in, in heaven we will be rewarded for how we've done it, and that should be a great incentive. Uh, but coming back to more, I guess, the, the short term in the temporal, and that is, I think, we should also uh, be planning long term to make sure that we look after our family. Uh, we're not a burden on others and so forth. And that requires good planning, and it requires you to live beneath your means in order for you to actually achieve it. So they're the two perspectives. I guess one's a slightly long-term one in this life, and the one's more an eternal one, uh, which is, you know, having that wealth with purpose. You know, I think I can hear you saying that there are some character issues involved with doing well long-term, and that is the idea of humbling yourself a little now and being a little self-sacrificial, having your family, having others in mind, having those uh, issues of generosity of heart in mind, because if you're not humble... Uh, if you don't have any idea of being any way self-sacrificial, then uh, you're not going to actually get ahead. You're not going to be purposeful with the way that you deal with your income. Mm, that's uh, that's exactly, exactly right. I mean, as Christians, we're really called to live lives of extravagant generosity, and we're we're not here for ourselves. We, uh, you know, the Bible talks about stewardship and the fact is we're stewards of our time our talent and our treasure and uh, someone we're talking about in the context of money looking after the treasure that god's given us we need to say well how can we use that in such a way that we're promoting uh, what's important to god and trying to take the focus off ourselves and the thing about money is it's extraordinarily seductive it really um over time, you know, as you were talking about before, through advertising and things like that, we're bombarded with the things that the world tells us that we need. Uh, the world tells us we need to, to look good uh, and so forth. And, um, in fact, there's a, there's a great quote um, from a, a book called Affluenza. I don't know if you've heard of the book. Um, but the quote says um, that people spend money these days to buy things they don't need with money they don't have to impress people they don't like. Yes. <laughs> and whilst it's quite funny, it's true, and I think it's as, unfortunately, it's as true as much in Christian circles as well. And so my, my challenge to people is to, to uh, take our mind off things that are temporal and to focus on things that are eternal when you're thinking about your budgeting and your money. Um, and you'll find it much more rewarding um, in terms of, um, you know, Jesus says it's better to, to give than to receive. And I think he knew that there's something special about giving and living a generous life. Uh, and it really changes you and changes your heart over time as you embrace it. Alex, is there a real issue with Christian people? And you might be able to uh, assess this, a bit of a finger on the pulse, because you speak to a lot of groups uh, all the time. Uh, this idea of, uh, you know, it's all right to serve God. Uh, I'm a Christian. I go along to church. 
Uh, but somehow or other, I want to keep my money, my finances, my wallet, uh, my purse uh, separate from that faith because uh, I've heard all of those things about the church is just out to get your money and those sorts of things. Uh, is, there a, is there a real issue there, a barrier that every believer perhaps needs to break through to, uh, to allow uh, a godly uh, wisdom to uh, access the finances of our lives? Definitely. In fact, um, while, while you were saying that, I was thinking of a famous quote from Martin Luther. And he said, there, were three, there are three conversions, the head, the heart, and the wallet. And the, the wallet often comes much later. And I think that's a journey for each of us as, as Christians. As, and to be honest, to be fair to the individual Christian, I I'd sometimes think that churches don't actually address the issue of money nearly enough. And therefore, members within the churches... Um, they're not getting the teaching on it, and therefore they're much more susceptible to what they're hearing in the general media. When it's been taught uh, regularly and properly, they'll then have a greater sense of what um, God's purpose is for our money, because it is essential to our, our life that we use the resources in such a way um, that we honour God. Because um, often as a Christian, we say God is first. You know, we say God is first in our life. But for some reason, people forget that that also applies to our money. Um, and the, the truth of the matter is, and this may sound slightly harsh, but if he's not first with our money, then he's not first at all, um, which is a quote from a, another well-known pastor. But uh, as I say, it is absolutely essential to the Christian life um, because uh, how we handle money is really um, an indicator of our spiritual condition. If we're not handling money in such a way that we're honouring God. Now, of course, as I say, there's a learning process that we go through in our life and learn how money works and so forth. But but ultimately, we need to come to a point where we are deliberately trying to um, use the money in such a way that we glorify God. I mean, that's one of the reasons we're here, to bring glory to Him and to, to bring others to Him by bringing glory to Him through what we do. Alex, let me bring in the big picture finances of a nation. And, of course, when we reflect upon our uh, our federal budget. Uh, just recently, the Treasurer delivered the uh, the federal budget for the year. Of course, there's an election campaign going on and, and there are more spending promises that are being made. And some people who are cynical will say, oh, there's a lot of pork barrelling that goes on mm-hmm. in an election campaign. Uh, somehow or other, we have a, you know, we have a secular government, uh, the government that doesn't uh, acknowledge the sorts of biblical principles that we're talking about applying to your life today. Do these sort of biblical principles that we apply to our personal finances, to family finances, to church finances, uh, to do things in a long-term way, do these sorts of things apply to a government? Absolutely. And obviously um, we're living in, in times where most governments aren't living by those same sort of principles. Um, but the thing about the Bible and these principles and how they apply to government is they is the Bible is wisdom and what it lays out works. I mean, in terms of um, you know the way governments are operating these days, most of them are operating on the basis of continuing to spend money that they don't have um, in order to 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 keep keep elected. So it's become really a um, you know, you mentioned the word pork barrelling, but that's it's it's now gone to an extreme level. I mean, if you took, uh, let's pick on the United States for example, 
over the last 40 years, they've run deficits for 36 out of those 40 years. Now, what that means, because we're talking about living within your means, that's the, the topic. What that means is for 36 out of those 40 years, they've actually been living not within, but beyond their means, um, to the point now that the US, just the federal government alone, owes $19 trillion. Um, in Australia, thankfully, it's, it's nowhere near that bad. We owe about $490 billion. Um, but the big problem, and this is where it comes, this is where the Bible comes in. There's a, a great passage in Psalm 37, uh, verse 21, and it's once again it's one of those tough passages. The Bible often is very, very direct, and it says, um, it says, the wicked borrow and don't repay. That's that's the particular um, passage, and the thing that concerns me with governments across the world, it, it strikes me as very little intention to actually pay it back. Very few governments have a deliberate plan in place on how they are going to either reduce spending or increase taxes. Most of them default to higher taxes, but actually bring their budgets back into surplus and pay back the debt. Because as I said, the Bible says, it was a wicked borrow and don't repay. And when we're getting that out of kilter, we are then causing long-term problems. And I actually see it as a bit of a moral issue here where we are creating all these debts future generations will have to pay off. I mean, I'm 40 and I've got young children and I find it very unfair that my children will have to pay back these enormous debts um, because the government refuses to live within its means, uh, all in order to get re-elected. So it's a very, I think, frustrating period for, for many uh, people across the, across the Western world where this is a big problem. And the big problem comes to the fact that governments have to spend uh, in order to win the votes. Therefore, it's not always, it's not just the government's fault. It's not the, the treasurer who's the one to blame necessarily or the opposition, but it really comes down to the voter who won't Absolutely. vote for a, they won't vote for a party unless uh, there is spending promises that benefit the individual. That's right. And look, there's a great quote. I don't know if you've heard this one. It's actually about 100 years old. And it says, democracy ultimately fails when people realise, the citizens realise, that they control the treasury. So if you think about what that's really saying, when the average citizen realises that their vote has a big impact on the way the government spend, that's ultimately when the democracy falls over because it all, it all becomes out of control. And that's, as I say, the same from 100 years ago. Um, and you're absolutely right. We now, um, in fact, I think of France back when uh, Nicolas Sarkozy was the president. And what he did was he increased the retirement age from 60 to 62. Now, you'd think, oh, that doesn't sound that bad. But people were rioting in the streets about it. Um, so we've got this situation now where people have become very dependent on the government and their expectations are that the government will provide. Um, in Australia, 30% of the government's budget is Social Security, which is an enormous figure. And so one has to ask the question, well, how sustainable is that? Is that, is that something that we can realistically continue? So we need a very sensible national discussion about what it is that the government should actually provide its citizens. What are the essentials and what are the things that, look, we don't really need the government to provide? Um, because that is, um, is a massive issue. Alex, want to invite our listeners to participate in the conversation. We're talking about living within your means, and as Alex has suggested, even that's problematic. We need to be living below 
or beneath our means at 1-800-316-316. If you'd like to contribute to our conversation, uh, you might have your own wisdom to offer. You might have a story to tell. You might have your own perception of what's happening in the nation as we speak, of course, with the the recent federal budget uh, and with the uh, political campaign that's going on now towards the election. 1-800-316-316. Ultimately, what you're saying here, Alex, is that if you don't, either personally or in your family budget, live within your means, and if governments don't try and live within their means, ultimately uh, there is a painful period of time ahead. Exactly right. And uh, unfortunately, in the Western culture, that's kind of really the point we've now reached. And some countries are further down that path, and you see that with places like Greece and Spain and so forth, and even worse in, in places like, say, Venezuela. Um, now, I think the problem in countries that are so um, wonderful, like Australia, you know, Australia's a paradise, um, I think because it's been so good for so long, People don't believe that these things will ever happen. They don't, they don't look into the future and say, well, if we keep doing this, something bad will happen in the future. I don't think many of us or enough of us think that far ahead. Okay, and of course the government then would need to take uh, action. When we, when we hear of uh, retirement ages uh, being lifted and uh, re- reductions to benefits, all of these things are perhaps like uh, the start of pain? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, and this is the the big debate around the world. I mean, we're talking about, um, say, let me give an example with the age pension. So the age pension came in in Australia in about 1905, and it was set at age 65, which at the time was life expectancy. And I think the big mistake the governments around the world made is they never indexed age pension payments to uh, to life expectancy. And so if it, if they had today, it would be you wouldn't get the age pension until you're 81. But the thing, of course, is we're now living 26 years longer than what we were 100 years ago, and therefore the the period of time that someone may actually end up on the age pension is far, far greater than it was before. But the second thing about that is people now see the age pension um, as a right, and they see it as something where I've worked hard all my life, I've paid my taxes, now it's time for the government to pay me back which I, I think that attitude is actually flawed, but nonetheless, that's the pervasive view amongst the vast majority of people. Now, I'm not saying that there shouldn't be an age pension. I'm just saying we need to really think very carefully about who it's for, when it, when it should start, the impact that it has on younger generations and so forth, um, so that we, we look at it as a whole, and also so we look at it in such a way where we don't go broke as a, as a country, because the big trend that's coming is by 2030, there'll be two workers um, for every uh, person. So there'll be, I think it's, it's a ratio of two to one, where for um, two workers, there'll be one person on social security of some sort. So two workers are expected to fund one, one entire person's um, um, social security payments, and that includes all the other types of social security as well. So it becomes very expensive. That was five to one only a few years ago, and it's now down to, it's getting towards two to one by 2030, they predict. So that's when the burden of taxation on, on other members of society becomes very great. Um, and we also know, look at when we look at young people today, the mortgages in Australia, I find uh, mind-boggling in terms of the amount of money people need to borrow in order to, to purchase a home here. So you can see all these pressures that are building up 
when you don't live in your means and when uh, we don't practice biblical principles. Well, all of a sudden we've got an influx of calls coming through, but we're right on news time. So we'll uh, ask your patience for those callers, and we'll take those calls after the news. Uh, Alex Cook is our guest. Alex, let's take a call from Emmanuel in Perth, WA. Hello, Emmanuel. Welcome along to 2020. Hi, guys. How are you going? Very good. What are your good. thoughts, Emmanuel? Um, yeah, I find it very difficult. So, um, I've got a wife, I've been married for two and a half years. Um, but I think the thing I find most difficult is I modelled my behaviour on my mother. I'm not saying she's a bad person or anything, but I mean, she, particularly I saw her spending a lot for, um, spending a lot, and I sort of modelled that behaviour now in, in marriage. I find it very difficult to. Um, change my change my behaviour. It's almost like a fight between my my old ways, myself and my flesh, and what God what God says in His Word. Mm. Emmanuel, let's get some thoughts from Alex. Uh, you've probably heard a story like that or two oh, around the around the traps. Absolutely. Look, uh, one of the just to make a general comment. Firstly, is that because what you raise is a really important issue about marriage, and that is we all come from different upbringings, uh, we come from often sometimes different cultures, um, we have different personalities and, and different genders. So all these different factors come into play about how we, uh, how we use our money. Um, and even, we, we, even as Christians, we can still actually have slightly different values about um, how we, what, we, what we find important, if you like. And once again, how you think and what you value will shape the behaviour that you ultimately have with money. But to address your um, specific issue in terms of um, spending, because this is a very common one where one partner is more of a spender and the other is more of a saver, and some are even a hoarder. My grandmother, you probably describe as a hoarder. But there's a few little things you can do here to try and, if you like, minimise or uh, control the spending. So the obvious one is having a budget in place where you at least both know where the money is going. So you know how much money is coming in from your, your wages and you know how much money is going out. So that's the, the starting point for any of these things, for any couple and even for an individual. But because of the, the spending habits, there's two things that I would suggest. One is that you set a threshold for any purchases. Um, that threshold is a dollar amount. And above that amount, you have to have a discussion with your spouse. Now, for every couple, this will differ. So for some people, it might be $200. For others, it might be $1,000, whatever that threshold is. And once you identify a purchase and it's going to be greater than that amount, you need to have a discussion about it. So you actually need to agree whether or not you'll make that purchase. So that's that's the first one. Um, the second one can be setting up additional bank accounts um, where you allocate each other an allowance. So you still have your, your main joint account where you're spending uh, for you know, your rent or your mortgage and all your day-to-day bills, etc. That still happens. But with the, this new account, or it could be accounts, you put a predetermined allowance in there. So it's predetermined where you both agree that each of you gets a bit of what I call your fun money or your play money. And that could be, once again, uh, an amount that you both agree with, and it goes into that account. And once that money is exhausted each month, then there's no, there's no more play money, if you like. So 
that way, what we're saying as a as a couple is, oh, look, look, we understand that each of has has different views and likes different things. So we're happy for the other partner to spend this set, set amount, uh, but no, but no more. Once you go over that, um, you know, you you're uh, that, there's no more money available for for the play money, if you like. So both those two tools can help you really uh, try and get back control over the spending. So anyway, that's just some initial thoughts for you. Emmanuel from Perth, great to have your input and thanks so uh, for sharing so openly about uh, that challenge that you're facing there too. And, uh, and just before we take another call, uh, this idea of uh, the role models that we've had about money and about our spending habits, uh, these are impacting and sometimes changing directions is not easy, Alex. Yeah, absolutely right. Some of these things are very um, deep-seated. I call it the iceberg principle. So when you look at an iceberg, only 10% of it is on the surface and the other 90% is underneath. And that's often the case with our values. They can be very, very deep-seated and often we don't even acknowledge them. So, you know, a really common one amongst couples is one partner, due to having grown up in, say, more difficult circumstances, has a real um, security issue. They have to feel financially secure. Now, that, can, that to some extent, that sounds sensible as, as a value, but it can become quite irrational where you, you worry about money too much. Um, so that security value can have a profound effect. But then there are others who their values might be, um, they find identity in their things, in their possessions. Um, I know for myself when I was younger particularly, I struggled with this. I wanted to kind of look successful. And the problem with that is you tend to spend money to make yourself look successful. So those sort of values, um, and I think that came to me from my family, um, predominantly because you know my family um, uh, was fairly successful in, in business. My, my father was, and his father, and so it was this kind of perception of wanting to you know look successful, and that can have a big, profound impact on the way you manage money. So that's that's why this is such an important issue, and why I really encourage couples to, in fact, with our marriage course, we, we make them do a series of very short tests designed to identify what it is that's really driving them um, as individuals. Because people often get this awakening, if you like, that they have these values that they didn't even realise were there, um, that they couldn't really articulate. The spouse may have observed it, but now you can actually articulate it and, um, and then discuss it and then say to yourself, well, does this line up with God's word? Does this particular value line up with um, the way you know, God intends for us um, to manage our money? And because if it doesn't, then you can pray about it and then actually try and, uh, and, ch- and change over time and ask the Holy Spirit to, you know, to, to really help you and guide you uh, with uh, the way you manage your money and, and walking away from values that really um, are not what God intended for us. We're taking calls one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Let's hear from Rosemary in Melbourne. Hi, Rosemary. Oh, good morning, Neil. Rosemary, what are your thoughts, or do you have a question? Um, I've just uh, got a comment and two Bible verses, which to me are related. First of all, um, any kind of finance that comes to you, um, anything good that comes to us, is from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And because that comes from the Lord, that's to be used according to the Lord's purposes. Uh, my thoughts are to live simply in every mm-hmm. area of your life and to use a certain amount of the finance that is, God provides for you uh, to be obedient to God, to put towards the poor, the sick and the broken with like, who are people who are lonely with broken relationships. And the two verses which 
to be uh, related from the Bible. Uh, Cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days it shall come back to you. And the second one related to that is, My word, and God is the living word, shall go out from me, and shall not return to me empty, but shall go out from me and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. Uh, Some thoughts from you, Alex. Yeah, look, I think the comments you made are spot on. I mean, God gives each of us resources, and we're to use those resources um, for him, for his purposes, which is exactly what you said. And and you really identified um, one of the key things, and that is helping those in need. Um, It often surprises people that there are about 900-odd passages in the Bible about helping the poor. So God has a huge heart for the poor. And I often think in Western culture now, we've even though we have lots of good charities that are doing that, I think um, really as individual Christians and as local churches, we need to really step it up and really help out those in need in our community and use the resources that God's blessed us with because each of us is blessed with a little uh, or a lot and it will vary greatly between us. But irrespective of our circumstances, you know, we're called to use uh, what God's given us um, to be a blessing to others. Um, The other comment you made, which I thought was very interesting, is um, about living simply. And I think that's actually just very, very sensible. Um, And there's a lot of joy in in doing so and and trying to get away from the fixation that our society has on possessions and, and getting back to focusing on relationships which is, you know, our first and foremost, our relationship with God, our most important one. And then secondly, the relationships with others and those that we, you know, that we spend time with and uh, really blessing those people. Um, there's just, our society's moved so far from community, if you like, and, and more into um, possessions and people putting on value on those things. And of course, they then find themselves feeling very empty. So I think that idea of living simply and refocusing around God and his purposes um, is, is very great advice. Rosemary from Melbourne, thanks so much for your call. 1-800-316-316, our talkback line open. Let's hear from Shelby in Sunnybank in Queensland. Hi, Shelby. Good morning, uh, Neil and uh, Alex. How are you going? Very well. What yes, are your thoughts? You. Yeah, mate. Um, look, um, I'm a semi-retired person now. I'm pretty much... Uh, I. I don't have credit cards, uh, and uh, I live beyond. I don't live beyond my needs. I live pretty simply. Um, but what I do do is, um, um, I, I am actually, um, as I say, semi-retired. I don't ever intend to fully retire. Um, my granddad almost made ninety and uh, lived and worked every day of his life, and even looked after himself right up until the day he died. Um, lived in a farmhouse hut and cooked for himself, did all his own, managed for himself and, and, and chopped trees and, and whatever on the farm that he had, had to do. So you know, it, for my way of thinking, and, and, and I'll put it to you this way too, um, Alex, I'd even take advice from yourself um, because uh, I'm actually even looking at a small course now um, with the share market. I've done well in shares in the past, medium, long term, but I'm looking at the short term. A bit more volatile, but I am looking at that. But the thing is, you know, I, I also work. I, I get called in with a, um, a recruitment company from time to time, and I'll do an overnight work, job, uh, work, you know, drive. Um, I have a national license, so I can do that. Um, but I keep myself active with my multi-level marketing. I'm in the health and fitness um uh, energy strength area. Shelby, some um, great thoughts there. Let's get a, a few comments from Alex. 
Oh, Shelby, the first thing I loved was the story about your grandfather. And that raises something that I've observed greatly, uh, both as a financial planner, but also just adding a Christian element to it. Um, and that is, I don't believe in retirement. Uh, and I mean that in, <laughs> in a nice way. You won't find it in the Bible. In fact, there's one uh, obscure passage to it in the um, in the Old Testament, and it's referring to the Levites. Um, but basically, the Bible is silent on retirement. And I think, as Christians, it's not so much an issue as to whether you do paid work or not. I don't think that's so much the issue. But I do think the issue is that each of us has a calling, and that calling does not cease when you hit the magic retirement age of 65. Um, we should work, uh, and not so as I say, for paid for paid employment. We could be working in a ministry or or whatever, um, but we should uh, have the view that our calling does not cease until we until we pass away. So we need to get away, I think, from the um, modern day retirement myth, as I call it. Um, that's not to say that we shouldn't plan financially for it, because the reality is at some point we may be made redundant, we may become sick and so forth, and therefore need capital to live off. And so I think planning for retirement is still a sensible thing, but we should dispense with that um, that kind of retirement uh, mentality. Um, the second area you talked about was investing, and not wanting to plug our course here, but we've got a course called Christian Investing, so you're welcome to check that out online. Um, you did mention an issue around short term. My strong view with you, if you think about investing, is try and take a long-term view, because short term is usually uh, risky, as you say, it's volatile, but you're exposing your capital, and there's, there's a, you can't sort of get into the borderline area of gambling. Um, I've tried lots of short-term things, particularly when I was a young guy and as a stockbroker. Uh, in my experience, it doesn't work. So I'd suggest um, you know, keep having a long-term focus towards the way you invest money. So. Thanks to Shelby from Sunnybank and wealthwithpurpose.com is Alex's website. He's talking about some of those courses that he's got on offer. I think you mentioned nine courses. Uh, we're continuing to take calls 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Wayne in Cairns in Queensland. Hi, Wayne. Hey. Wayne, what are your thoughts? Are you? Very well. well hey, um, yeah, I reckon... Um I need to save a little bit of money. I'm just wondering the best place to put it, like whether it's a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars. You know where to invest it. Like you tend to put it in the bank, it seems to um, accumulate too much interest and, and that. So um, whether you should buy something and um, use that as collateral to buy another property. Oh, like I, I have got another property that I do rent out. And that, in, that rental income should be paying for another property, I think. Uh, Wayne, uh, there's some good thoughts in there. Uh, your thoughts, Alex, on if you have a few dollars to spare, what's the best place to invest right now? Yeah, no, look, it's a good question. Um, I've got to be very careful here because I'm no longer a licensed advisor and certainly over the radio it wouldn't be sensible for me to give anyone uh, specific advice as to what they should do. Um, but I think that there's a few two principles that came out of what you were talking about. Well, the first is obviously you need to save and, and, and put, put the money away somewhere. So I always encourage people to try and save 10% of their income. Uh, for, for long-term things. So the saving part is the first component of investing. You've got to save first, and obviously, in order to invest. But then, of course, the issue comes, well, where do you put it? Um, and the big problem around the world at the moment is interest rates are at record lows. I mean, we saw the Reserve Bank of Australia a few weeks ago lower rates to, to record lows. So the bank has become, if you like, less attractive. Um, so what I want to give you here is a principle for everyone to think about in terms of what they invest in. And that is you want to invest in something 
that creates a growing income stream. Now, what do I mean by that? Most investments have an income. So if you put your money in the bank, the income is interest. If you put your money in a property, then the income is rent. If you put your money in shares, the, the income is dividends. So in each of those scenarios, you want to buy an investment where the income grows over time. So if I picked on Woolworths, for example, Woolworths is obviously a big supermarket that's listed on the Australian stock market. It pays dividends, and over time, those dividends have actually grown at a rate that is faster than inflation. Now, that's very attractive from an investing perspective because you're preserving the, the purchasing power of your money. So, so my advice is not so much what you should go out there and buy tomorrow, but when you're doing your research and doing your homework... Try and invest in something where the income stream from that investment grows over time. That way you're protecting the value of that money over time and you're growing it. So that, to me, hopefully answers your question. Okay, thank you so much to Wayne from Cairns. 1-800-316-316. There may be some time for another call or two. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Well, just a few minutes away from Focus on the Family, our special guest this hour is Alex Cook, financial planning expert, founder of Wealth with Purpose. The website is wealthwithpurpose.com. Alex, uh, time for perhaps one more call. Let's hear from Andrew in Perth. Hi, Andrew. Welcome along to 2020. Thanks, guys. I'm a first-time caller. Very much enjoying your show. Um, I struggled with, um, I'm married with two daughters and struggled with the whole financial thing and where, especially where tithing was concerned and having our needs met. And I, praying one day I got a revelation of what it meant that our God shall supply all of our needs according to his riches and glory. So that was a covenant promise. And with any income that was coming into our home, was, we first of all needed to in, highlight what was those needs and then what we had left was overflow, and that was the area that God would test us in, in our ability to not only use that wisely, but to reach out and touch the lives of other people, um, whether giving it to organizations or individuals or someone that God touches our heart to give to. And so since embracing that as a um, fundamental truth, um, all of our needs have always been met, uh, but the challenge was to discern what was the difference between a need and a want. And many <laughs> yeah, times we, what we want is not actually what we need. And that was also an area that we were being challenged in. Great thoughts, Andrew. What's your response, Alex? Look, it's, it's a very great, great point and about this issue around perception of needs versus wants. And this is actually a, a, it can be a source of tension in a relationship where uh, one... Uh, one of the spouses thinks that uh, something is a, a need, whereas the other one sees it as a want. So that can um, cause a lot of tension. So what I really try and uh, encourage couples to do with this sort of stuff is um, to actually pray together about any sort of significant financial decisions. So obviously, I'm going to pray together about your morning coffee, but you are, if it's anything really important, such as the giving, so what are you, who are you giving to and how much are you giving, pray about those things. Um, things like buying a car, buying a house or renting a house, all those sort of things, really uh, commit those to God and ask him for his, um, for his revelation of what he wants for your life. 
um, and that will really help you to sort out what is needs versus wants. Um, sometimes we, we want things, so we want things that are, are nice things, if you like, luxuries, and I actually don't think God objects to those things. It's not about um, you know not ever having anything nice in your life. God, um, he's a loving father, and he wants you to have good things, so long as we live within our means, or as I've said before, live beneath your means. Um, but there's another comment that you made about... Um, uh, about having surplus and there's a great passage in 2 Corinthians uh, 9 verse 8 and says and God will generously provide all you need then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others which I think is a fantastic passage um, to live by and I think it really taps into what um, what you just said. Andrew from Perth, uh, great to hear from you and uh, you might be a first time caller, I hope it's not the last. Good to hear from you Andrew, thanks for joining us today on 2020. Uh, Alex, you mentioned that there's a bunch of courses on your website at wealthwithpurpose.com. You mentioned there's nine. What sort of fields do you cover very quickly? Yeah, so look, basically it's broken up into three categories. One would be what I call personal finance. The second one is for, for businesses and entrepreneurs. And the last one's for church leaders. Um, but for those who are listening and, and you're interested in personal finance and you're, you're just starting out, um, we have a course called Financial Freedom Express. And what it is, it's 34 short modules. Each video goes for about five minutes, and then there's a task to complete it at the end of it. And that is designed so that each day you can just do one little task, watch one short video, and really start getting your finances into order over the course of a, of a month. So it just go, goes over just over a month, and it's done in a really simple way, down to earth, um, and a way where you can follow it very easily, and it doesn't consume too much of your time because we live in a very busy world, uh, and that's one way to get started. So that's the Financial Freedom Express course. Um, but the way our site works is the membership site, so you can sign up as a personal member, and you actually get access to all the the, the personal finance courses. Um, and then the business membership slightly more expensive, but you get the business courses and the church membership. The churches get access to all the courses, so they can run it themselves. Fabulous. And uh, that website is wealthwithpurpose.com, wealthwithpurpose.com. Alex Cook, uh, financial planning expert, uh, founder of Wealth With Purpose. Just great getting your insights again today. And uh, as you say, uh, we're shaped by all sorts of things. And sometimes those things need to be readjusted. And to adjust those things according to a biblical Christian worldview on how we deal with our finances, just certainly invaluable. So thank you so much to Alex Cook for being our guest today. Uh, we'll do this again sometime soon, Alex. Fantastic, Neil. Great. Uh, really appreciate you having me on. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.